Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. During my racing years and even now, I take my health and nutrition pretty seriously, I must say. It was so difficult though to stick to a routine and to remember to take all those necessary supplements. Then I found AG1. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. Now you might ask, what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I have never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. Honestly, I actually look forward to taking it. I do it first thing in the morning. I feel more alert and focused and I know I'm taking care of my body and health. I feel energized to get my day going. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier and that's why I trust AG1. I just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning as I said and then I'm done. So check this out. With that one scoop of AG1 I've been talking about, you're absorbing, listen to this, 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help start your day right. This is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, recovery and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs and none of that nasty chemical artificial anything, all while still tasting good. Now let's all be honest with each other. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now I don't care what you do in life, I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by so many professional athletes and health experts. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle, that's again drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link will be in the show notes as well. Hello and how's it? Welcome back. This is Moving the Needle podcast, but more importantly, this is your Crank Brothers Race Review. It's with me and normally with a guest. Now we'll get to that, but Crank Brothers is synonymous with DH Racing. And this year, can you believe it, 13 years in a row with that elite world champs win with that Mallet DH pedal. And we'll get to some of that, even though we are going to be talking about Andorra. But it's not just the pedals. Crank Brothers is adding to their product offering all the time. And in the last few years, it's been pretty clear that they've got a host of podium and race winner contenders in their shoes. Riders like Bernard Kerr, he was on the podium this last race. Lucas Shaw. Cammy Belange, unfortunately, out with a horrendous crash, which we'll obviously talk to a little bit about that, and Troy Brosnan and many more. Now, I've got with me a coach and I think mental coach as well to the stars of the sport. He's got many in his roster, and I've been put through many a hard training schedule back in the day. It's none other than Alan Milway joining me. He's back home for probably only two days, and he's back off because we've got a big racing block. Um, Alan, it seems like the season's been going a bit. We are only halfway through. Yeah, hey, Andrew. Um, nice to speak to you again. Always good to see you. And uh, yeah, we're just getting into this next block. It feels like we're 
right in the middle of the season at the moment. Um, these three back-to-back weeks are going to be tough, definitely. And Andorra was really tough. So um, I'm at home for probably 48 hours before flying back out again. But it's nice to be home and I can recharge the batteries with the family and get, get ready to go again. Yeah, it's been an interesting one, you know, with that break in July and then we had Wills. Um, and now this these three weeks are going to race by for everyone involved. And then we're going to be three quarters of the way through the season like that. So it's taken us quite a while to get to the midway point, but uh, it definitely delivered. There were a lot of storylines. Yeah. Maybe not the, not the ultimate ones, you know. Obviously, weather snuck in there for the last, last riders in the mails for anyone that didn't watch the race, uh, maybe check the highlights, but uh, that was definitely a huge storyline throughout the whole week, wasn't it? Uh, the heat, the thunder showers, the schedule changes. I mean, it it really played a huge role um, with the outcome and I think as well as the strategy from what I can tell. Yeah, exactly that. Um, the thing with Andorra is it had been super, super hot and dry basically all summer so far and the track builders had revamped last year's track so the top section had been worked on a lot and i'd say two-thirds of it was basically identical but then the bottom third they'd taken a completely different route so we didn't have any of those dodgy bridges that we had to go over last year and it was quite interesting because the the track crew were incredible like shout out to them they had a lot to deal with but to show you how I guess unexpected these storms were they'd rigged up an irrigation system with uh hose pipes all the way to the top so that they could water the track and try and keep it maintained and when we did track walk like I'm not endowed with the best hair anymore and I got burnt pretty bad didn't cover my head and um yeah it was I think it was 40 degrees in the pits so super super hot and we were expecting that but you could see in the forecast that um, there were ra- there was rain due, and after practice on that first day, goodness me, heaviest rain I've ever seen. Yeah, did you guys get stuck on track walk? Everyone went out with a t-shirt and then ended up with like uh, rubbish bin bags on them and all sorts. <laughs> well, some teams did, from what yeah. I could see. So there's unexpected but expected thunderstorms that you have in the mountains. That's exactly it. It's that classic um, weather system, should we say, when the weather comes in at sort of 3.30 and all hell breaks loose. Um, this, the schedule's a funny one. It's probably worth talking a little bit about the schedule again because there's there's an official track walk on Wednesday morning. So we have an opportunity to have track walk with the elite teams first and then all the other teams and that goes on for about 10 till 12. And then we have junior practice that runs three till five. Now, a lot of elite riders feel that walking that track before anyone's been on it, when they're not going to get on track for a long time until the following day in the afternoon, they would prefer to wait until the juniors have had a chance to get their wheels on track. So a lot of elite riders were waiting until you know midway through junior practice to head up there. And, um, yeah, Greg was caught out. Uh, I know, um, yeah, quite a few of the others. I know Millie was caught out. I don't know if you saw any of Millie's social stories. She got absolutely drenched up there. And yeah, I was, I was happily back in a massive articulated lorry, uh, out of the rain by that point. <laughs> um, 
is that's got to be the first time they've rigged sprinkler systems for a track. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's some motocross action right there. Yeah. Props I, I, to them. That's really cool to try, you know, sort of help the track not deteriorate too much, um, even though they know it could get – I mean, it, you can race a dry track. That's part of the sport. But they obviously want to try to deliver the best possible uh, track you know, that they yeah. could. I think that it was because they built in the dry. You know what it's like if you're digging dirt jumps and it's dry. It's really hard to get it to pack. And they built a, they built up the berms and repaired the berms. And I think the fear was that without any moisture in that soil, it would just start to blow apart like moon dust. And um, after that storm, that storm was the heaviest rain I've ever experienced. Honestly, it was. Really? Yeah, we've got a um a floor like a plastic tiled floor that goes down in the pits and the water was running down between the plastic floor and the concrete and bubbling up the floor literally the floor was bubbling and um some of the mechanics were having like ben and ben were swimming in it and it was it was it was good you know we were all having a bit of a laugh with it and ronan was pulling wheelies in the car park but it it was interesting because the track workers knew that their track was just washed away. At that point, the track was done. And they went up on track in the evening. Apparently, they're up till midnight. They're up at dawn. They had bobcats on the track. And by early morning, I went up early the next morning just to see the state of play before practice. It was like there'd been no rain. It was just incredible. They'd redug all the berms. They cleared out all the rain ruts and wow yeah it was it was really really good they done a they must have been up all night those boys and um they they did a hell of a job so i think the rain at that point everyone was happy for you know danny messaged me saying they'd have been praying for this rain because in the end the boys and girls were loving it the feedback was like big smiles it was like hero dirt there was grip the bottom woods that were sort of they were this weird combination of like dry soil and like rocks, like loose rock in there. And that had turned to quite a nice loam. So I was saying to Joe Breeden that in these conditions, you'd probably call it damp. But if he was at home riding in these conditions, he'd call it hero dirt. You know, I so said, don't forget that. It's This is the stuff that you guys like. So um, it, it was great. And at that point, we thought we were going to be good. But obviously, Mother Nature had more more tricks to play. Yeah, and they had, they changed the bottom, obviously um, taking on that feedback, especially how dangerous it was. Not just feedback of you can build a better track or maybe there's a better layout. They clearly did it to help with uh, the safety. So that's really cool to see. So they had a new bit of woods you just spoke about uh, for them to navigate. And that played quite a pivotal role. Um, as we know in racing, if you can be good at the last sector, yeah, you can certainly you know jump up the leaderboard. It was super interesting to see how many guys – looked within touch, looked ahead, and then they'd be fourth instead of, you know, they were leading at the last split and then they'd, you know, go into fourth. But um, maybe you can speak a bit to uh, the fatigue that these riders uh, were going through, even though it's a shorter track, you didn't see a lot of pedaling, a lot of high speed, but it's the highest altitude race of the year. Um, And maybe people at home don't realize how taxing that is maybe throughout the week. And I think some of that was fatigue. Um, yeah, someone sure. like uh, Angel Angel was saying that he wasn't feeling his best and he definitely felt it at the bottom of the track. You know, if you didn't come in physically prepared, you could make some mistakes or just uh, be way more fatigued than you would think, even though it's it's a very 
short track and not that physically demanding on paper. It's a really interesting um, point to make because what we thought was uh, most interesting was when you considered the the pedaling. So you came out of the start gate at that very, very high altitude and you essentially went into a max sprint effort and you didn't stop pedaling until the first jump. Okay, so when you yep. watch them, they come out of that very, very short start gate and then they just pedal flat out until that first jump. Now, as soon as that first jump's over, they essentially then stop pedaling for the rest of the track. There's only a couple of places that you can pedal, but they find themselves in like this half squat position that doesn't change. Now, if you or I were to get into a half squat position just now and hold it for three minutes or whatever, you know, you, you your legs feel it let alone when there's so much force coming back at you. And I think that is the thing that people can underestimate is like the ground is trying to push you sort of out of your position and mess with your position. So you're fighting to maintain that. And the bottom third where this new part of the track was, there was loads of lot. It was really cool. I, I love that part of the track because there was um, a wood section which had, it almost snaked through the wood. So you could come in riders left and just, dart straight through but the exit wasn't very nice it was quite a sharp corner onto a piece and it was a risky corner it was a big g out corner and you didn't carry as much speed or you could come right as right and you could sort of form a shallow s through the truck through the woods and it would pop you out higher up with more exit speed but you've almost had to dab your brake just a bit so there was a lot of debate and we were trying to time and go back and forth and confirm which line was better and it was really interesting just to talk about these line choices and differences because I was in the pits during B practice at one point and Greg was in, he was in his pits and I went in there and he was sat with two, two mates and I didn't know these lads at all. And he introduced me and it turned out to be Leon Camia and Chaz Davies who are like world level superbike riders, you know, and, and Chaz raced at the very highest level for Ducati. And I think Leon's now managing, you know, one of the factory teams. And we were having a really interesting discussion. Those those boys live in Andorra. And they were like, well, you just you just time it. And it's, you know, black and white. We, we, we have guys timing our sectors on the racetrack. It's black and white. And I was like, well, yes and no. And they couldn't understand it. Not in downhill, yeah. is it? It's not that simple like, in, the, oh. in the variable of downhill. Yeah, I was trying to explain that really you need the same rider to compare. Because one rider riding one line versus another... They might not prefer it. And then I said, ultimately, if I if I show a rider that one line is better, but they ride it and they're like, no, nah, that's not for me. I'm not going to ride it. What'd you say? And it was a fascinating insight because they were asking, obviously they're at the top of their game. They're very intelligent guys at what they do. And they were asking me questions that you really have to think to justify your reasoning because initially you think, oh man, we're getting this all wrong. We don't know what we're talking about. But when you sort of break it down and explain that a lighter rider, maybe on a shorter like wheelbase bike who rides a certain way, like a Jackson, for example, could change direction super quickly. But someone on a bigger bike who longer wheelbase carries speed. So Greg, so you've got those two teammates, you know, on, um, on the same team, but different riding styles they might well prefer a different line and also be better on that line. So that was just one small section, but then that carried you into the woods and the final sector really wasn't very long at all. And it had very little in it, but it was quite clear that if you could almost form 
like three doubles. There were like three natural doubles through this rough, rocky terrain. It shot you out into the field a lot quicker than if you didn't get that right. And that's what Tebow just must have absolutely blitzed because when you watch it, Greg doesn't do it badly, but I don't think his split was that good. Like I've got the splits in front of me and I was just trying to find um, where he was on that final split because I don't think he quite, yeah, I think he was 12th on that final sector. So you can see that's probably where it was lost because he was first in the- Yeah, he was he was leading up and to it. I, yeah. I don't dig into those too much because everyone can find it online, but you're totally right. I didn't think Greg did it too badly either, but um, Tebow obviously did it exceptionally well. Um, but that's interesting if you think about Superbike and GP. Obviously, Brad Binder was there, the South African yeah, yeah. contingent, which was yeah. fun and leads into Greg sort of, you know, the more pressure and the more people expecting to do well, you know, he really thrives under that. And a friend joked, he came to pick something up at the house. He said, well, at least you got something to speak about in the podcast. Because you know, <laughs> it seems to be a Greg show, but he's featured here. So, of course, yeah, know, credit yeah. where credit's due. And, and it was awesome to see the likes of Aaron Gwynn at the races still and, and speaking very highly of, of what Greg's doing as well as inspiring others. But uh, speaking about the superbike thing, it is tough to explain because they've got so many more controllables. The bikes are pretty, you know, to the naked eye, similar wheelbase. To the naked eye, similar weight. Yeah, Here are the engine, you know, like I don't have all the technicality. I don't follow that sport. And you've got the controlled surface of tarmac. And you've got the most precise timing of all timings on those circuits. So for them, they'd be like, what do you mean? There's a faster line. Your rider should be on it. But we've seen it back in the day. You've got slower lines that a, that a rider could just ride so well, like a Sam Hill. So it really is such a unique sport. Uh, um, and, and speaking of wheelbase, uh, that's critical as well. Um, some bikes and riders are not going to be able to ride certain insides as they can outsides. You give up to gain. Um, so that's super in- interesting insight to hear from the pits and compare sports like that. Yeah, it was it was really cool because I said to them, you know, in our the way that the track is taped, you can find that one rider is, you know, three meters, four meters away from another rider riding the same section. And I said, how does it work in your sport? Where is there only one racing line? And they were like, well, not really. There's more than one, but they're all within like this, you know, they're within like a matter of inches from each other. And it was really subtle differences. And it, it was just interesting to sort of reflect on that with them. And then going back onto the track you were finding that people were trying to be creative to see whether there was a better way through there was a really it was um it's a real shame because it wasn't actually shown on the screen there was just as you'd come into the final sector you came around a left-hander which had loads of rocks within the dirt so they were like loose uh like loose potato-sized rocks sort of thing that were like getting churned up and you came around that left-hander and then you had to go over a rock and very quickly get your wheels back on the ground before you jump to road gap. Now, the road gap itself wasn't very technical, but the rock before it meant you had to get your wheels straight on the ground. So you couldn't bounce over the rock because you would struggle to reload the bike to take off. Mm. And there was an outside line potentially that missed the whole thing, but it was just so much further around. But I love that. I wish, you know... To me, that bottom third of the track was absolutely fantastic because there was different line choices, different opportunities to do things. And 
over the course of the week, it really changed. And I find myself reflecting again on whether we have too much practice or too many riders on the track because it sort of finds a sweet spot and you see the boys and girls come back down and it, it was so cool this weekend uh, G was riding again you know to see G back at the track was just amazing and, and he turned up just to practice just to sort of get his feet wet and see how he was feeling and then I was like you're going to qualify. I've prepared your warm up times for qualifying, you know, and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, you know, you're going to have to give it a try. And those boys were riding a train. So G, Charlie, Colby and Ronan Dunn, because Ronan was pitted next door, sort of in the continental family, should we say. And it was just, they were howling, you know, enjoying it so much, trying different lines, helping each other out. And the track sort of went through this sweet spot of being really enjoyable for the riders to to ride on. But then as we got into that final, almost after qualifying, you go back up. We always walk the track after qualifying. And you're like, bloody hell, this thing's beaten. And we've still got, you know, practice tomorrow morning and then all the race runs to get through. And in theory, you're supposed to have semifinals and finals. So I just think that it's a it's a really interesting situation where yeah is there too much practice are there too many people on the track Do, you know is that something we should expect for the track to go through like in a motocross track you know you get this beautiful mellow spot and then by the second 450 moto it's like you know it's like a battlefield is that part of the sport or what i think so i mean it's it's i don't think you can control it you know some races the tracks are going to get worse than others i would I would say, you know, listening to, yeah, you can see that they're maybe trying to get to a point where we have less riders at a World Cup, which is like a fair thing, right? But you want the right riders there. And that brings up this Adam Brayton thing. I don't know if you followed that or what was happening. There yeah. was obviously talk of the town. Lots of people have spoken about it. I'm not really going to get too deep into it. I think there'll be a solution. This is maybe the, you know the sort of pivotal moment where they have to relook at a few things to make sure the right person doing the right things can be entered into a race. But certainly, is it fair to have 200 riders entering a World Cup? Maybe that's a little too many, which will bring down the wear and tear on a course. Uh, do we need a semi? That's a question still, I think, yeah. floating about. This this was back to the old school, Alan, just like 2022. I know, I know. We, we yeah. had time training. Yeah. We had a qualifying, which almost apparently rumor had it could have been the final if there was no race. I yeah. don't know if if you got any more fact that if that is an enforceable thing. And yeah, then is, yeah. we had a final. So it was pretty exciting. Uh, I, I didn't mind it. Um, and I'm sure some of the riders didn't like the schedule changing and getting up at five. But... To be honest, I wasn't there, but I think everyone within reason is doing the best they can to provide a race that's under safe conditions. So with mountain weather, that's what you happened with this with the schedule. Yeah, for sure. I th so the, it's quite there's quite a chronological order of what started to happen, and it, and essentially we all went up for qualifying. The women were qualifying, and uh, midway through, there was a red flag. Okay, so red flag. And what had happened was Cami Balanche had crashed on this big road gap. There was a big road gap there. And the road gap was visible from the chairlift. 
So some of the elites coming up for their warm-ups had seen Cammy crash. And from all reports, essentially she'd gone off the um, road gap. The bike had just been pushed away from her and she went body first onto the landing. So not even wheels first and then crash, you know, literally body horrible. horrible. Now the wind was gusting at the top and it was pretty windy, but it wasn't horrendously windy at the top. Now, bear in mind, the road gap is 45 seconds into the track, probably. And so they were then trying to attend to her. And it was quite an interesting thing because there was a marshal, everyone's Spanish. And there was a marshal there who spoke English. She was she was a Spanish marshal. And she thought she was being really helpful by telling everyone, everyone who could hear what had happened. And she was like, there's been a horrible crash. A girl has landed. They can't get her off. She's barely moving. She's in an awful lot of pain. And I was, I was going, look, zip, like, shush, you know, quiet down here. But no one needs to hear this. And they, they were struggling to get the helicopter there. And they were trying to get the helicopter in. And it was quite windy. So there was a long delay, an awful long delay. And this was midway through. Then sort of some word must have gone around the girls as to are they going to shut the road gap. Now. I don't. I was up there trying to work out the delays because I was trying to reschedule all the warm ups and trying to help liaise with the riders to go look, stop everything, you know. And um, Dante Silva, I think it was Dante Silva. Forgive me if I've got it wrong. He he was doing his warm up and hadn't heard anything. He had his headphones on, and I could hear him doing his sprints because you you know you hear the turbo Shame. whirring. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. Warming up. Whoa, 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 so whoa, whoa. I, I like run over to him and I like sort of tap him and I'm like, dude, do you know that there's at least a thirty minute delay? You know, and he was like, "Oh no, I don't." And we we're like, "I'm so, so, I'm so sorry to break it to you, but you're gonna have to like cool the engine back down." So there was this long, long delay, and um, it, the girls then had to start again. So there were two girls on track who had to come back up. They went straight back down, and fair play, like hats off to the girls. I've got so much respect for them, and especially like shout out to Millie Johnset because she was one of the first ones. She was probably the third one off, and you know, are we doing the road gap? Are we not doing the road gap? Am I going to crash on the road gap? And Millie like qualified, I think third, and which was the- Yeah, third, yeah. yeah. She had a great quality. Great and quality. She, they kept the road gap open. Yeah, so they kept the road gap open. And there was, um, it, it, I think it spooked. I know it spooked Michaela Parton, for example. She was like, I was really unhappy with it. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was quite scared to know, you know, if I'm going to get blown. And- they're, and again, Danny was like, what are they doing with the road gap? Because that is really dangerous. But if we don't go off it, we've not practiced the chicken run, you know, the chicken route. No one's been around there. So there was a lot of debate. And eventually we managed to work out, we did the maths. And between like me and a couple of us and the commissaires, we're like trying to get the word out to all the riders, right? It's a 28 minute delay or a 32 minute delay, whatever it was. Everyone replanned. And then the, the men's qualifying went down, I'd say, very fairly it all you know went as you'd expect but then what i i quite liked and there's been a lot of back and forth um this year with various people in my mind putting forward suggestions and complaints and like criticisms that are perfectly fair okay so for example the juniors the juniors didn't used to get any time on track after a practice so they'd have all this practice and then there'd be two and a half hours of A practice and then the juniors would have to race. And the track was really different. 
And, you know, that was put forward as, this isn't the safest thing for the juniors. Chris Hauser and Valdesol had a huge crash. And one of the suggested reasons for that, and he certainly said he came into the rock section, completely different. So they changed the schedule and went back and forth, asked one set of people. They said, yeah, this is a great idea. Ask another set of people. No, it's not a good idea. You know what I mean? So Shame, I was yeah, like, oh tough. man, here we go. So they were chopping and changing. But what the reason I say that is what I did like, and I think everyone could respect, is this communique came out quite late on the evening on uh, Friday night. It said, we're rescheduling everything tomorrow. The weather looks horrendous. This is what's going to happen. And I was like, there we go. You know what I mean? We've got some real clear-cut leadership stamping it. Yeah. This is what we're doing. And I don't think anyone had a problem with that. The The problem came because practice was fine. And yes, it was windy, but it was fine. And it looked like we could get away with it. But they pulled the plug and they said, it's 8.30 in the morning. We'd all been up since 5, 5.30. We're not doing anything till midday. So we all waited and then midday comes and they said, right, this is the schedule. And what they'd done is they'd given the riders another half hour or so of practice. And that, I think that's one of the debatable points is, did we need that chunk of practice? The, the, there wasn't massive rain of any significance. The wind was what it was. They'd shut the road gap and everyone had practiced in the morning. And what, what happened was we didn't practice till like quarter to two. So everything got pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And you could see there was, you know, the weather was going to come in again. And it I was think- It probably going to come in like super late afternoon or at least a high probability. Shame. Okay, so yeah. that makes makes sense. Yeah, I don't think people at home might not have known that that there was this extra practice even before the race, which is, they obviously made a judgment call on safety, but it pushed back the schedule for the race even more. This is the thing. Okay. If they'd have said- uh, and, and hey, I'm not criticizing this. You know, they had so much no, going no, on. No, no, I can hear you not. You're just giving yeah, the lay of the land. I'm just trying day, to yeah. give the lay of the land. So everyone from 8.30 to 12 was basically hanging out. And we were all just, my advice to all my guys is like, just try and switch off. We can't control anything now and they may cancel it. Now, there was some people who at the top of the track and they were sending videos down and they had wind speeds of 90k an hour at the top no they didn't yeah not. yeah yeah it well was it looked pretty windy immense. on the broadcast and later on yeah and you could see the banners were going everywhere and the chat i'm on an advisory group and in that chat basically they were saying we as it stands it cannot run and i so there's me in the truck and drinking my cups of tea going through the usi rule book because i thought that they would take results from qualifying and sure enough, we will take results from qualifying and they will be the final ones to stand. So we were going back and forth with Simon Burney and saying, well, what's the score of points if this happens? And he said, final points. So the points that awarded for finals would be awarded to the qualifying results. So that's what would happen. So I thought to myself, this ain't ever going, you know, this is no way going to go ahead when you see the state of everything. But then they saw this weather window. And I think from 12 o'clock, potentially hindsight being 2020 if you'd have said women you start at one boys you start at two we're going to try and get it done in the next three hours we may have had a race that everyone was in the same boat but it, i think because of what they were looking at with the conditions and getting the marshals back up on the hill because bear in mind they've had to safely get everyone down again 
I think this is what they were doing to try and put into place an opportunity for people to have a cycle app and ride in those windy conditions. So that's how we found ourselves. And it was, um, it's also worth noting that the men and the women both went about 5% faster in their finals runs, but there was no road gap. So they had to take a longer route and the track was beaten up and it just goes to show it's very, very hard to replicate that race run intensity because how do you suddenly step up that much more, you know, come finals run? I I find it astonishing all the time. I'm amazed by this. Yeah, it is unreal. Um, And it's, it's awesome because we were texting offline that, you know, that's a talking point. It's Mm. factually the top 10, maybe from about Ronan, Finn had some maybe water on his lens. Like I'm not going to get into how much quicker or slow it was, yeah. but factually the guys did admit it obviously post race, like, yeah, there was some luck involved, but I've been on the bad side. Um, and then obviously at the end there was those guys in the middle had zero chance. I mean, it was so slick. There was that, that um, traverse you, yeah. where, Andy, where Andy crashed yeah. and you come out of a right. I mean, it's literally a different race. Uh, the top 10 guys versus some other guys. Uh, when there was normal conditions, you're like squashing this jump, carrying speed. And then some of these other guys that like, could barely get over that. So you could see that they w- there was definitely, you know, it, it was affected, unfortunately. But the women's wasn't. Um, and, it, and it was, uh, you know, you had to be mentally strong to deal with those delays, deal with those unknowns. And, and like you say, strap yourself in and put down a race run when, yeah. I mean, Nina even said like she wasn't in the mental space to go up there and do a run, but then you maybe get on your training bike and that's why these people are at the top of the sport. You know, when they switch into race mode, they can really turn it on. Um, and it is so awesome to watch. I thought the track looked great on the broadcast. It looked fast, looked like death defyingly quick. It really yeah did. it was it looked it, it was good camera angles were pretty pretty good for the most part that middle bit how fast you're hurtling through the trees you know sometimes technical through the trees is is impressive to watch in person but not always on tv so mostly uh, it was exciting i think they did a really good job as as we were coming down after qualifying they were putting up these um fixed cameras they were these sony cameras that um i've, I've seen them somewhere before they look like they're almost circular and what yeah. they and they can uh, adjust them with a motor but what they do is they adjust them to the spot they want them and then they fix them and they were almost fixed into these like bird boxes and we were chatting with the guy one of the guys who was fitting them up and he was like yeah what we do is we're going to get these into the position that we want the field of view and then we fix them and that's it and they gave you it was an almost like um fly on the wall view you know the quality wasn't quite the same as a pan a big tv camera but that's quite cool and the section where they had the speed trap is is just incredibly quick it's not where you think it would be it's not in the sort of fast traverse it's a bit further down and um that was really indicative you could tell that jackson had a puncture by the speed trap so as soon as he came through the speed trap, he was at 45 k's an hour. And as soon as he came through, I was like, Jackson's got a problem. I hadn't even seen the tire because it was the boys were coming through at 57, 58 k's an hour. And sure enough, as soon as he came onto the piece, you could see that the back tire was going and he had a puncture. And that speed trap uh, slowed as the rain came. 
you know, and and there you go. Immediately, you were like, well, they haven't got a chance. And and Finn, as you sort of touched on, when um, Greg came down and took the lead, who I can't remember who he knocked off the top spot. Uh, maybe Bert, Vidal, Vidal, yeah, Vidal, or Bernard. Bernard. Yeah. yeah, he he came into the hot seat, and they were all they were all dry, like they were all bone dry. And then when Finn came down two seconds back and he came onto the hot seat, you could see his shins were covered in splatter. And uh, I was standing next to PT and PT was like, look at his shins, look at his shins. It's coming in. And that was like the first sign that you had. And, and you got a feeling that when Finn was two seconds back on a good run, I was like, oh, I'm not sure whether they're going to be able to get close to this. And, and then... I think Ronan came down and, you know, it was pouring by that point. Colby had that slip and slide moment in one of the first left-handers. And there's just no way you can ride on it because the berms were that hard that the dust, you know what it's like when it's almost like if on a summer's, if you've been on uh, just on asphalt, if it's bone dry and then it rains on asphalt, you haven't got a chance. It's like this layer on top. Yeah, so, yeah, it needs to really rain for a long time, and then it like washes off stuff. So yeah, yeah, I mean it's unfortunate story of story of the race. And I was chatting to someone, and they were like, "Yeah, but it didn't really look like it was raining." I'm like, "You just need a few of those big drops on a rock, and you visually can see that that one rock is slick, so you hesitate. That's half a second. Yeah, that- and then the boom. You could see how Jackson was riding. You could see him like standing himself up to not lean the bike too much. Mm. You know, it, it wasn't total commitment. You could see him. He's going as hard as he can, but he was really sort of making sure that he stood the bike up more so that he didn't uh, edge the tire too much because then you could, you know, wash out. Um, and, and you're just going to lose seconds all the way down. So it was inspiring to see the guys, like they were throwing everything at it. Uh, on that topic, I think Jackson, if you're going to choose a race to flat, Unfortunately, it's this one where even with a crazy run, you're getting 22nd. That's what Lloyd got. Uh, yeah. You're not getting many. Yeah. yeah, you're getting points, but you're losing so much to Finn, who's now taken the overall. So you're not ideal for Jackson, but if you're going to flat at a race, yeah, exactly. Jersey, you might as well flat at the one where you, you might not even get points. It, it was interesting. Now yeah. they're not handing out those, those points after 30th position, from what I could tell. If it's a finals, exactly, it was finals points, and, and that that was this whole situation was interesting. Um, Jackson commented that he was essentially aiming to throw the kitchen sink at it on that final wood section. He was like, "If I can get there, the rain wasn't going to affect that bit as much, uh, but it was the top." Danny said that when he came out of the gate and it was hammering down, there's a left hand rut, and he came into that left hand rut, and the whole bike started squirming. And he just almost rolled his eyes. He was like, I, what do I even do? You know, there's nothing that's going to let me crack on here. And I felt really bad for him because his pace um, was incredible. He, he'd, uh, he'd been testing. He'd come into Andorra. He'd, you know, got the bike where he wanted it. He'd done some stuff with his bike that he was really happy with. And I thought, here we go. And his time training time was incredible. And I like that time training. I've missed that. I think it's a good chance for the the boys and girls to put in a heater and see where they stack up. So yeah, it's like they can put in a heater on their own terms. Whereas yeah. qualifying is not on your own terms. The semi is not on your own terms. It's like, 
I don't, I mean, they're adapting to it, but I'm still, I got question marks. I just got question marks with that. But you're right. Danny would have been one of the biggest losers here. Um, and Dakota Lloyd, as well. You, yeah, Dakota. I mean, all these guys in the top, well. Well, it's the top, top 10. 10. Yeah, Ronan, it's the top 10. Ronan Dunn is really impressing with, you know, this consistency, which we had question marks. Yeah. And I think he would have had question marks coming in. You know, if you say, hey, we said you had question marks, we're not trying to be rude. He'd be like, I agree with you. I was the question mark guy last year. But Danny, you know, big loser out of the rain, Dakota, so anyone in the top 10, Benoit showing his speed. And then Loic, you could see that, you know, obviously the Instagram post and the, just the absolute disgust and disappointment at the bottom because he he's clearly the man on form at the moment, world's qualifying this qualifying yeah. that's like two basically where you could argue rain has affected it fair at worlds but it does affect the racing um and then here like but uh you know you know, back back to the positives i think you can't take anything away from de Prilla and menar i think menar where we spoke about there could be lots of differences in lines and things but when there's one line, I think Greg's really good at doing those subtle inch yeah. here, two inches here. Okay, I'm going to be late on this turn because I'm not going to break, and then I'll go inside on that. Like he rode pretty amazing there in the middle of the track, um, and that long wheelbase would have helped. He loves going fast. He said it before. He prefers that style of track than something that's totally steep where he's having to manage the speed. If there's a track where you need to make more speed, yeah. which Andorra, you could argue, you can also make more speed in those sections. So it definitely suited him. Um, and that's nice. I mean, he's had some horrible luck. So it's it's good to see him real, real one off then. You could argue it was a podium run. I, it definitely was. In I, all fair conditions. Like, let's, yeah. not, let's not take anything away. And then De Preller, he's like the opposite. It's it's all out aggression and attack and just sort of run the main line as hard as physically possible. It's not the prettiest. No. I think I, he'll say that. It's not the prettiest, but it gets a job done. Yeah, I think Rick made a really good comment when he was coming down. I rewatched um the the Prelis run and Rick was saying in the commentary that he's like a one man wrecking ball. And I thought that was such yeah. a f nice way of putting it. You know, I'm like, yes, this is that is Tebow. And he, his run was uh, aggressive. He'd been really aggressive in practice. I've actually got a clip of him in practice, and there's a um, there's a bridge, the second bridge. It's quite dangerous, really, because they look the same. The first bridge is a road gap, and the next one isn't a gap. It rolls down. And yes, I saw that in the broadcast. Yeah, and um, G was petrified that he was going to pull up off the second bridge like it was a road gap, and if you did that, you'd you know, you'd have another G Afton crash sort of thing. So it, I was filming on that section and Tebow comes through incredibly quick. And as he drops over this brow, one of the cameramen was setting up a camera and the cameraman like scurries up onto this bank and just gets out of his way. And I think, guys, you know, I don't know who you're going to end up worse. You versus Tebow Deprella, you're coming off worse. <laughs> you know, you're coming <laughs> off worse here, mate. So it, uh, his he was riding really quick all practice. And when you look at the times that they put in and the riders and calibers that they are, I think the feeling at the at the track was that those were legit times that were set in the benchmark. 
you know, it wasn't like someone has put in a time that was in the 50s and it was much slower than uh, a qualifying time and there was time on the table. I don't think there was a lot of time on the table. It, it was as fast, if not, I think it was the same second as Bruni's qualifying time maybe, but um, with that extra distance they had to cover, you know, by not doing the road gap. And it was like, right, let's see you try and beat that. And that was what we were robbed of, if I'm honest. We were robbed of that. Yeah. Like, you know, are you going to be able to beat that time? And we never got to find out. So Those are like those first big times you're like, yeah, oh, how have they go. gone that quick? Yeah. How have they gone that quick? Yeah. Because Fidel had a great run. Yeah. And then normally, so there's 10 left. You've gone into the hot seat. You're definitely putting money on yourself to be in the top five. If you go into the hot seat with top 10, someone's making mistakes, someone's flatting, you flat out beating the rest, and then someone else goes, you, well, you are speeches when someone else goes a little bit quicker than you ever imagined on track. That could have happened. So we were, that's a good thing to say. Oh, we were robbed of it. Everyone was robbed of it. Um, but um, where, like, where are you at with the guys? Because like an Ethan said, oh, it was probably a top 15 run. So he's like sitting in six. And then he's got to say to himself, okay, but fairly it was a top 15 run. But I mean, he's, I think he's being conservative, you know, it's quite tough for those guys that have been, you know, like wanting these results and not having the season they want. And then you've got this little asterisk. I know. <laughs> yeah. I, and they're like, they put down a legit run. Could have easily been ninth. He could have been ninth, 10th. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is it. You just don't know because it was clear that though the run times, like Luke Meyer Smith, ended up eighth. Yes, you know, first run yeah, back. Great. We should give him a shout out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Legit run, first race back, and it was like, and Ollie Davis as well. Ollie in eleventh was another really standout. You know, he had a good qualifier. I think seventeenth in qualifying, and then eleventh in the final. Those guys, it's like fantastic. And the I think one of the riders who'll probably feel as though they maybe missed an opportunity with someone like Charlie because he didn't have a good qualifier. He he's been riding, he was riding incredibly well in practice. He was doing a couple of lines that I was like, blimey, that's, that's really impressive. You know, no one else was quite linking a couple of bits together like Charlie was. And I was really excited for him, but I honestly think that I don't know what they make that rainbow Jersey out of, but I think it weighs an awful lot more than a normal Jersey. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's yeah, a tough one. It certainly does. Um, you you were around him to understand the energy of it, so he sounds like he's riding with confidence after the win. Absolutely, but it's it certainly is tough, even for the likes of someone like Steve Pete when he won it. Yeah, yeah. yes, he was getting to the end of his career, but there is the they speak about the weight of the jersey. But would you say there's there's something he's going to have to get through? Um, and maybe have some patience with it, with not winning a World Cup before that. And remember, Danny went through the same thing, right? Yeah. Shumpri win yeah. was before a World Cup win. Yeah, it was. But So you were his coach at the time. I was his... And, yeah, teammate. And I remember there was like a chip yeah. on his shoulder of like c coming out swinging, not taking it for granted and not just like living off the world champs. He was like, no, 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 I'm going to yeah. keep on proving myself. So that's that is a tough thing. Um, for anyone to go through. You want to back it up. You want to carry on doing well. It was as deserved as any race when I've ever seen. Like, oh, absolutely. That was incredible, right? We haven't spoken to yeah. each other about it. What an incredible race. But maybe a little, uh, the pressure was a little less for him at World Champs. I think what's interesting with Charlie is, 
if you spend time with Charlie, he's one of the nicest people you you will ever meet. You know, in in any walk of life, he's he's a gentleman. He's polite. He's mannered, and he doesn't want to be the centre of attention. He's not that cocky. Puffs his chest out, opens the door. Hey, look who you know. Look who's here. He's not that guy. And when you wear the rainbow jersey, you are expected to be that guy. You are you know, you are now that guy. Do you see what I mean? You are it's like forced upon you. It's yeah, forced, it's forced up, yeah. upon you. Yeah, Op- that's going to be know, tough. Huh? The door gets opened and everyone looks at you and go, hey, it's the world champion. And it's something that he didn't want to practice with it, for example. He was like, I don't want to wear, you know, I look like a bit of a prick wearing this thing in practice. And that is really interesting because you almost have to reframe that and go, you are now considered one of the favorites and that can only be something you should take as an honor. And it's not, you know, it's not something that's being burdened upon you. And I, there's also a lot of stuff. There's a lot of crap that comes with this. All of a sudden, every Tom, Dick and Harry's coming into the pits for an interview. Can you do this? Can you do that? Press conference, this, that and the other. And that's one thing, let alone the questions they ask you. You know, all of a sudden, these questions that are coming at you. So it's just something that's an adaptation. There's no, the riding sort part of it is there. You could see it was there. And I think this weekend, he'll have learned a lot. And the best thing about this weekend is we go straight to Ludenville and we can go, right, let's show everyone what I can do here on a bike. And there's no no problems. Well, the good thing for him is his riding has done the, done, done the talking. But just listening to you, I think uh, even, like you say, the, there's one thing getting all the, the interviews and then the next, what are the, the questions? Okay, cool. So I could ask, okay, so you haven't won a World Cup, but you won World Cup. Hey, there you go. Exactly. Right? But now I'm like, you know what? You know what I would tell him, and and you might tell him or told him already. He's like, Charlie, you're a race winner. Yeah. Just ignore. You know what? Just reframe this world champs theory. That's just the kit that you put on to go up for finals. Cool. Okay. Park that there. Have you won a race against the world's best? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. There Next. Exactly that. Does it? <laughs> why exactly does it matter? That. You haven't won a world cup before world champs. It's just like something. That is a talking point, you know? Well, this is, and that's exactly what it is. I'm almost going to get trapped in it. Like, I don't want to ask that question. It's like almost sleazy journalism then. Well, it is. Yeah. Literally just won a race. So you're now a race winner. Yeah. What more do you want me to do? But but that factually comes with its own expectations. Uh, You're now someone that they go around the pits and get the pre-race interviews or your thoughts on the tracks. You now stepped up into Andy Kolb's world. You now stepped up. Yeah. into G. Atherton's world. He's a former multi-time exactly. world champion race winner. Yeah, it's awesome. It, it, but tough. Tough and it might just take some management. Yeah. It would just take some time. I think there's some people that would wear that rainbow jersey out to the pub. They'd wear that rainbow jersey around their girlfriend's house and they'd be absolutely like, check me out. And I don't think, Char- <laughs> I don't think Charlie's that guy. So he's just got to get used to like how he manages it and what he... Yeah, just get it. That's all it is, just getting used to it. But because it was a dry run and for the, some of those people that hadn't quite qualified where they probably could have done, there was there was probably some low-hanging fruit there to put down an absolutely yes. banging run and go, here we go. And that's where I'd say Luke took advantage. You know, Luke Marsmith, what a time to take advantage of that back from injury. Put it, He'd been riding again. He's He's got an interesting style. He like He forces the bike where he wants it to go. And other people just flow with the bike and 
Luke's really cool when he's working with the bike and aggressive, you get a, you know, you get a result like that. So, um, some, some great outcomes. Yeah. And some missed opportunity there, um, in, in the mail. I mean, that's, that's, that's racing. As they say, all the cliches rank two, two for this race, but, uh, Nina Hoffman, speaking of putting the bike where you want the bike to go, uh, she spoke about, I think she really wanted to win worlds or that was a really this big goal of hers or she knew you could do it the pressure and lady luck with the crashes and yeah. stuff that happened there so you could see what this means to her maybe she didn't even think she could beat valley because valley's been on this tear but um maybe valley didn't gel with the sort of schedule changes and all those uncontrollables or the hangover of winning worlds again i think there's a little hangover from that as well yeah I, uh, Nina as, they, was tra- as they call it not an actual. Well, Valley could have had an actual <laughs> still from Wills, which as she deserves. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, Nina's that's three World Cup wins now. It's, it's incredible to see another lady that's like I can be a race winner. Yeah, and and I think what I find interesting about Nina is the fact she's come from a little bit like Andy Cole actually has come from like full privateer status. You know, I think she was like stiff uh, sponsored at one point, stiff. Santa Cruz or something like distributor sponsorship, very much doing her own program and then got thrown into, you know, the Santa Cruz syndicate. That is the probably the most high profile team with so much media that goes with it. I don't know if you saw any of the collab stuff they did with Fox this weekend and like they've all got new kits and they really do make a big, big deal about their riders. And I, I think it's fantastic. I think it's exceptionally well done. But it does come with a certain like spotlight, and uh, Nina, she's—I don't know her very well, but obviously I've spent some time with her in the pits and around, you know, around that that team. And she seems to sort of get focused in, and when she's comfortable, she's very, very good. But if something happens and the rain comes or something turns or there's a section of the track, I think she then needs to work through that. And I think that's where Petey's really good because Petey does a lot with her and on track and like reassuring that hey, this, the speed's there, the technique's there, and she she's got such a different style on the top section. You can probably have two more different riders her between her and Valley. She'll jump the bike straight, keep, you know, keep herself straight level round those corners and then on. And Valley's much looser with the bike on the top section and really makes it flow. And, and visually it looks, wow, you know, Valley's riding incredibly well. And it, it sort of makes you think, well, Valley's going to take that all the way through this track. But Nina just, um, to carry that speed, I would. I haven't got the splits in front of me, but I would guess from that sort of second split on, she would have really taken the time, and um, that I thought was incredibly impressive to to lay down a run like that and uh, take a win when it wasn't like you won because something happened. You know, it was a, a very very deserving. Yeah, and and you're right. She did carry on making time. She's good first split, but it's. I mean, that's really tough to sort of differentiate the riders. But after yeah. the second split, that's when she went back into the lead and kept the lead. So that was really awesome to go. see. Um, yeah. And then Tarnay Seagrave, that's cool to see. You know, yeah, she's had to be really patient with this whole thing. It's showing showing a lot of maturity and speak to her here and there. Spoke to a bit at Worlds and. Uh, you know, she's got a very big following as well. Um, yeah. And a lot of, a lot of these young girls looking up to her and she's got that going for her. And that's that can be overwhelming, especially when you're not racing, you're not at the races. 
Um, so that's awesome to see her back. You could see how stoked she was. Yeah, I was really as happy. As well as, yeah. yeah, I think everyone was. You yeah. could see from a lot of the guys and the Instagram posts, everyone, as we, everyone wants to see someone that was at the top back there, you know. Absolutely. Especially with the type of injury she's she's gone through. Super mentally draining, uh, emotionally very taxing as well. Yeah, I think it does speak of her patience and sort of um, persistence as well to sort yes. of, you know, yeah. you know, let's keep going at this because it, she must have had some thoughts in her head where, you know, she's not qualifying through the semi-final. She's coming 11th or what have you and she's thinking, blimey. And, and I was even saying, I think we might have spoken about it in an earlier show that, you know, we need riders like her in that final. And if 11th place doesn't get you in the final, then top 10 isn't enough people. You know, we need that semi-final to allow these riders in there. Yeah, we need the stories. Yeah, we need the stories. Exactly. That's like a prime example. Like what if someone's hurt mentally that takes time to get back into the top 10, into the top five, and now we've got a storyline again. Yeah, and, and that's So, it. yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's that's a really critical point. So, uh, and that's a case study for us. And uh, yeah, I, I I love it. Sport. It is just a game of persistence as well. It, it really like is. Everyone goes. How does Greg keep doing it? Well, he doesn't give up, and he doesn't yeah. listen to someone saying he's old. Uh, same as Gwyn. I mean, he's had I don't know how many seasons in a row now. There's some sort of injury. I know. And you're gonna see him come back. And you're going to see him put his work in, and I think that's inspiring. Is is uh, you know all sports, especially sport of downhill, because I mean it knocks you down more than it more than oh, it sort of gives you a pat on the back, doesn't it? Yeah, and and in terms of motivation, it's it's interesting when Greg did so well with Leo Gang a couple of years ago when he was on the box. Then he had his wife was there. He had some family come over. I think he had some friends there, and the vibe was familial you know what i mean you had your family around you and uh, lots of friends and what was funny was in andorra he now lives in andorra he was quite happy to host his friends in andorra he had a lot of people come up um he knows a lot of the motorbike races there and when he crossed that line he looked up and there were some friends of his that were in vip and i was like you know what this is this is where greg takes his energy from he likes to He's the kind of guy, and as you'll know, if you if you're at say a party or an event, Greg will be like, Alan, this is such and such. Alan, this is such. he wants to introduce you to people, and he likes people to know each other and get to know each other and put people together. And I got that feeling this weekend before the race. He was like, Alan, this is you know this is Chaz and Leon, and we were having a chat, and I was like, oh cool, you, you know you guys ride with Greg and hang out and train and this that and the other, and. I think he draws energy from that and and you could sort of you couldn't predict a result like this because of all the bad luck he'd had but it almost felt right because you know that the celebrations and he had been so happy to celebrate with his friends and family after a race you know like that so I I find that whole side of sports and how you draw your energy and I've been talking to Danny about this as well about you know how to get that feeling that he wants and that motivation and everything happy so that it will support you in your race runs and the Athertons are such a good team for that in in that gap you know I said we practiced early and then we had this like break from 8 30 till 12 I kid you not everyone was in our truck they were coming by to have a cup of tea come and hang out come and say hello and I think that really speaks about the environment that 
the Athertons as a team and Tom Lloyd as the manager and the Bens, the mechanics and, you know, all the other guys who are involved with that have created this environment that make Andy and Charlie happy. You know, they're happy guys. They get on really well together. There's no ego and that drives them. So this whole side of how you gain performance, when I see some teams that are incredibly clinical and, you know, it's like, um, you walk into their pits and it's like, you can hear a pin drop. And you're like, bloody hell. You know, uh, you don't feel welcome. You walk in and you're like, can I come in? And they're like, who are you here to see? And I'm like, oh, blimey. And you come in our pits and there's drum and bass playing and, you know, someone's taking the mick out of me for something. The Ben's like to take the piss. And I find that, you know, it it it's all men in jest. And everyone knows that when business needs to get done, it gets done. There's nothing that's cut short or, you know, joked about. But I think that that side of the sport is something that can be overlooked and a rider shouldn't overlook that. So, yeah. You mean when picking a team? Yeah. When picking a team and, and thinking, where do I need to go? Because I've always advised riders that the first thing you need is decent equipment. You know, if you're going to get paid to ride shoddy bikes, shoddy forks, shoddy brakes, you're going to struggle. You're going to be battling against that. But then secondly, is you want an environment that is going to help you thrive. And I think, yeah, hats off to those guys in that team for, for being able to create it because it seems effortless, but everyone is aware that there's a line that isn't crossed. You know, you don't go too far, but at the same time, they work hard at six in the morning. They were working hard to give Andy and Charlie that like, Hey man, we're here. We're going to have a great day. They've been up at five and no one is stoked to be up at five. Yeah. In the no morning. one's actually stoked. No one is. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome to you. I think it's, it's good to like give a shout out to the support crew is what you're also doing. You know, I think these teams, like it takes an army to get this one person down yeah. a hill, this one lady down a hill. Um, and some teams do function like that, like specialized gravity with Loic and Finn, like Finn's got his relationship with his mechanic and Loic's got yeah. his one and Jordan yeah. would have his one. That one looks a little bit more clinical, you know, and it's like business first and then fun. And then other people, they've learned what Charlie and Andy maybe need. So it's like fun along the way. And then there's the line and then syndicate has their vibe and some riders have moved on from syndicate. It's not their vibe. Yeah, yeah. Right? For sure. So it's exactly that. Like you've got to go and find like exactly what's going to help you perform. But some riders don't even know that till it's too late or till they've made a few mistakes or contracts are contracts. Sometimes there's oh, uh, this is one contract in the email box. Yeah, and that's yeah, the yeah. contract you're signing. That's the one you're going to take. But and and it's yeah, up but to it, but it, Yeah. yeah. It's up to you to make it work, but uh, it, it's tough, man. If the team's not getting on or the politics with managers and mechanics and it, it actually boils down to the riders, even if they're trying to have a good time. Yeah, I love it. The psychology of it. It is it's oh. certainly, certainly fascinating. And where they get the energy and someone like the Prela, it's a lot of pressure, but he obviously, why, I mean, it's kind of a home race with Comencel For sure. down, the, down the hill, not down the road literally at the bottom of the old track and i hear they're building a new spot and max is there of course you want to perform for him yeah. so that gives you that energy to maybe get through a long day and, and 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 fight for a win win like he did but it says a lot it must say i don't know max very well at all but it must 
show how he gets the best from his riders because I don't think there's any benefit to, you know, you don't go up to someone like Deprella and say, hey, don't fuck this up. You know, it's not that way of doing it. You know, you're there behind them, building them up. But from a rider's point of view, just as you say, you go down that hill and at the bottom of the roundabout is Commensal HQ. You turn right to go into La Masana. There's another The Spot, Commensal. Opposite that, a brand new building for Commensal. Down the road, two more shops, Commensal. It, it's everywhere. And, you know, I think that there there is that expectation and, and G said, G was like, I'm really happy for Thibaut to have won it here for that, for that, for Max, oh, you know? yeah, yeah. I'd 100% carry on rolling down that hill to the HQ and sign the new contract. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It could be convenient. You say, just hey, don't like, worry, we're all here. Should we yeah. just go down? Let's just get we'll it do done do next now. year's deal. Let's just yeah, get, yeah. It but, get it done. But But no, you, you said an interesting thing. There's no ways Max is like that. I don't know him that well either, but he just loves racing is so passionate but we all know the riders put the most pressure on themselves that that's the without thing that, yeah any yeah. team guy saying anything that's that's the one danger is when teams start saying oh you know we need a few more results the sponsors aren't happy it's the last thing that's going to help there's already I, well, so much pressure they already know that the results aren't there they already know that contracts are coming and it's not looking good you know, so uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is a tough one when yes, results would certainly help the team, which would help everyone's job, but that's uh, definitely not the way to go about it. At this level, there's no one who needs an email that comes through saying we need a little bit more out of you. You know that that, and if that <laughs> comes, it's just unbelievable. You know, I just roll my eyes at the the management because no one has done any study of basic human psychology or you know management styles if they think that's a positive way if if you see the guy on social media is out drinking beers and are messing around then that's the email you send yes. but no no yes. one's doing that everyone wants the most from them and it's just yeah. creating you know creating that environment i think is is vital and um i think the last thing just to touch on mentioning commensal is uh i you know we hope to see miriam back soon i know she's had some setbacks um and Amory Piron was there trackside this weekend. So he was he was keen to be involved and he had his sort of hiking poles and he was wandering up and down the hillside. So I, I'm hoping that he's close to, to getting back as well. Yeah, and then speaking of that is is Cammy. I spoke a little bit yes. to Emily and she did yes. she did share some stuff on social media. So I'm happy to speak about yeah. what she shared. Uh, not not other stuff, but no one wants to see that. Uh, especially no, to, no. to 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 any rider out there, let alone the Cammy that's a really calculated rider. If you look at the history of how she's come up in the sport, she's yeah. known as that calculated clinical rider and horrible to see it and it's bad luck and uh, we wish her all the best. So yeah, absolutely. maybe maybe Emily puts this on to uh, soothe some of her pain at some point. We want to we wanna see her back. We want to see her strong. And it's so scary when you see the DNF on a on, a on a sheet and then and then you hear those rumors and you are on the track hearing it from marshals that's just horrible you know in our sport that is the ugly side of the sport uh, we we are definitely dealing with that yeah it's dangerous and yeah absolutely all the best cami and I, we hope to see you um you know fully fit and healthy and happy soon 
you know who deserves a, a, a shout out? I mean, all the riders do. I, I, I just want all the riders to do well. But uh, Eleanor uh, is back from injury. Yes. She hasn't had many races under her belt. And, you know, we saw a glimpse of her last season. And then for her to not have the first few races and then now on, on the podium, uh, yeah, that, I think that's, that's really, really awesome to see. Yeah, that was cool. And you could see the way she was riding. I talked to you about that rock roll and then road gap that was quite technical to piece together to watch her come down. And it was as if the rock wasn't there. And then the, you know, the flare over that jump, I was like, blimey, th- th- here we go. You know, this is, this is going to be interesting. The level at which the girls are riding at is just keeps getting higher. And the more of them in the mix, that can only be good for the sport. And I, I do have this feeling that only having 10 in the final normally just isn't enough. So, you know, to expand that and bring more people in and sort of showcase this level of riding. Um, yeah. yeah. And and especially with, we spoke about it, obviously, pre-show, other ones with the juniors that come up, managing yeah. podiums. Now we've got junior, we can call them girls. They are going to, and they're riding the freaking wheels off these bikes, right? Oh, um, in yeah, the junior yeah. category now, uh, smashing the time of second place. But what about when she goes to elite? So then well, exactly who it's falls just... out of the top 10 if there's another junior that's able to yeah. be ninth, eighth in the yeah. first year or whatever it is or get on the podium. So there is yeah. certainly more depth um, and it has been coming for a while. So that's yeah. it's just going to be a talking point as as we carry on. And if you are going to a World Cup, you, you've got to go and make sure you do watch the juniors ride because uh, like the two that stand out for me is Eris and uh, Sasha, the two young Kiwi girls. Unbelievable, the speed and the style. And I think they're really fun to watch when you see them on the track. They ride really well and they've got incredible track speed, uh, incredible flow. And yeah, they're going to be really exciting when they get up to the elite class, but they need the chance. They don't, they shouldn't feel like they need to be a top 10 rider straight away as you go up into elite. You know, if they're 12th, 13th, that's fine. But I don't think they will be. I think they're going to jump straight in um, to sort of podium level rides. But uh, it, it, it is exciting. And, and the junior men, the pace is really frenetic. And a lot of the elites are keen to see what's Hauser doing. You know what's Bodie doing? How are they? What lines mm. are those guys taking? And and or it Pinkerton shows, for that. Or matter, Pinkerton, right? yeah, yeah, because he's been really lighting it up and talking the pits, but not quite followed through yet. Yeah, or yeah. got unlucky with crashes at the wrong time, like a sighting lap. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Pinkerton again is is absolutely on it, and it's 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 really cool to see. And I think the sport is in a very exciting place at the moment. And you know we've got. It sounds like everyone's arrived at a very wet Ludenville. Um, it's sort of, there's been quite a lot of rain. I've yet to sort, I normally go through all the weather forecasts and whatever. Uh, I'll be doing that tomorrow to get a feel for what the weekend's going to be like, but we've got uh, what, what sounds like a very like French track, quite a natural like fields at the bottom. Um, there was a lot of work that needed to be done. Charlie went to a test event there and he said that the bottom wasn't where it needed to be. So I guess they've had to bring in a track crew and get it sorted. And um, and then we're that's a Sunday race. So it's worth bearing in mind, we've got an extra day. It, it's all pushed back a day for this next weekend. But then Leger, we go back to the Saturday race. So you can see things pinch up 
And in week three of a three-week stretch, people are tired. Like teams are going to be tired. They've been on the road. That You know, when you're struggling to just have maybe a bit of time out from each other, everyone's been in each other's pocket for three weeks. It, those sorts of things might come into play more than you think when we get to Leger. Yeah, momentum certainly going to be key. So for the team, yeah. you know, people with good results, Ludenville's easier. If you have a good result at Ludenville, Leger is easier. In yeah. in, in my experience, Absolutely. just for the staff, for everyone, for everyone, yeah. You, you, yeah. you know, it's unfortunately results driven sport. Everyone understands the ebbs and flows, but it certainly makes a rain race easier with a result or getting to the next yeah. one. So there hasn't been a lot of racing at this venue then, right? Have there been many French Cups? I haven't really heard the name too much, but I don't follow the French series too much, but it certainly doesn't seem like it's a staple on the French circuit. I could be mistaken. Message me, please. Yeah. I don't know a lot about that venue. I knew there was a test event. I believe it's that they had an EWS there and, um, I don't think it's had a downhill before. I may be wrong, but from the sounds of it, the track is certainly going to be new. So we've got something brand new. And again, that's exciting. I'm, I think it's brilliant to go to a new venue where we have to learn a track and we don't feel like we're walking the same thing we've walked for the past 10 years. That's cool. And um, it will give us all some, you know, a new venue. Even the little things, where do we go for food? Where do we go for this? Where? How do we get here? How do we get there? All those things, if they take a day or two, that's just energy to work out where to get things done. So I, I, I'm excited to go there somewhere fresh, different airport to fly into, all of these fun things. <laughs> what airport? Where? What's the closest airport? I, I'm going to Toulouse. So um, okay. yeah. And interestingly, I, I don't know if you've heard this, but UK air traffic control shut down today. So poor G Afferton and his girlfriend Katie have been sat at Barcelona for 10 hours. And um Oh, I saw someone's yeah. Instagram. Yeah, he's, like just, a, he's got a 15-hour delay on a on a short flight. So that's what's happened. Yeah, so and G can't get back to the UK until Friday. So he's gonna do what any oh, he might as well go race Ludenville. He's gonna go to Ibiza instead. <laughs> Is he? <laughs> nice he deserves it yeah he deserves it but i think he should go to ludenville instead yeah exactly so yeah uh, it, it, I'm, I'm just hoping that these sorts of logistics actually you know i know we're joking about it but to come back i'm hoping that i won't have any delays i could just get back out you know to toulouse and then uh straight to the venue and ready to go yeah and uh, i mean since it's the midway point we don't always touch on the overall i mean everyone can find results out there but I think it is interesting to like sneak through the overall. Obviously, Valley's got a two hundred and twenty-two point lead, but mm. that's over Cami. I can't see Cami yeah. back next no. for the next two races at least. Um, but anyway, I have no idea. So Nina's creeping up there, but she's got quite a cushy margin there. But then in the men, I mean, that's super interesting. Where are we here? That's results. I have all these notes. Yeah, so the biggest victor out of that was Finn. I mean, he's the most consistent. Fifth, third, second, third. And then Jackson, unfortunately, dropped back there a lot, you know. And this is he's over yeah. 100 and something points. Like, there's still four races to go. So, um, yes. but that's that's super interesting. And someone like Loic Bruni, you know, that's going to really hurt. The last two races have just not been what he needed, you know. And that I think that's what he was so angry about because Loic is one of these riders that 
normally is very happy to shake it off quite quick. But I think he felt aggrieved by the situation and very frustrated, incredibly frustrated that he it was, you know, probably felt very dangerous to ride and man of the match to him for coming 22nd in those conditions because that was when you saw how difficult it was and how far back everyone was you know he was like 0.8 back and then he was a couple back and then the time didn't go back any further and that that was an incredible display but he probably from reading his social posts and sort of seeing him after the race he, he was you know he was sort of shrugging his shoulders and like well this isn't right sort of thing it's really difficult for us to put ourselves in this position and to to risk everything in these conditions to come 22nd you know which was the very best I, I think when you watch um Jordan Williams ride I think Jordan and I haven't spoken to him so I may be completely wrong here and Jordan will correct me if I'm wrong but it felt as though he realized quite soon this is just deadly you know I'm not going to get down here and risk everything to get no points. So it was sort of, he seemed to get himself down in one piece and smoothly and uh, within that risk factor because you've got you've got to fight another day. And, that, and that's the problem when you've got an overall to look at because ultimately these championships are what people race week in, week out for. It's, it's you know, you don't race, it's not sort of a one and done situation. You're, you're there for the championship. So to push everything you can when the weather's against you and you've just got no hope, ultimately, you know, I don't think any, like poor Dakota, he said that he was sat in the start gate, Danny had gone and the rain was just bouncing off the floor and the wind was up and he was like, that three minutes until I went felt like 20 minutes. I was like, what am I, it's just killing my my chance. My chances are just disappearing by the second. So it, it is tough, I think, for for the overall. I don't know. I don't think there's a, a solution. I, you know, I don't know of a way to mitigate this. No, I mean that it's been part of our sport for how long? Um, part of what they potentially are doing is getting less riders in the final and maybe being able to move around the schedule. But in this instance, they got a race done. Loic mentioned he wanted a fair race, which meant they needed a final. Didn't yeah. really want to win it from qualifying. And then the poor guy. I mean, it's all the cliches. That's racing. Come, You know, like all these things you can say to yourself. It just doesn't make it any easier no. what he's dealing with because he's probably like, well, worlds didn't go well. Eyes on the overall. Damn. That just yeah. like, that wasn't my fault that I got no points for the overall. But maybe we'll be hungry. Like there's four races to go. So much can and probably will happen. So maybe that's a great way to to wrap up unless I've missed something that is top of mind for you. No, I think that's exactly that. I think it's it. that's the one of the things that we have to love about this sport is sometimes people talk about these races that don't always win because of what they've done and people can respect that. And the weather is something we have to play a part in. You know, going back to those World Superbike guys, you know, they race on asphalt uh, and there's very limited external factors and downhill couldn't be more different and that's what made both of these sports so exciting in their own way so yeah all eyes on um ludenville and leger so two french races now and uh can't wait to get get stuck back into it yeah and i'll see you in leger but guys that was your crank brothers race review alan mulway 
coach to the stars, getting us all the inside info. He's a Crank Brothers ambassador. You guys know the name. You know what they stand for. Uh, they really are synonymous with downhill racing and mountain biking. So it's awesome that they supported the podcast. They're the first sponsor of the podcast. So shout out to them winning 13 years in a row with that Mallet DH pedal. That's the one I trust on my downhill bike. And they're adding shoes like we spoke about. Troy Brosnan, I see, is in the shoes. I kind of missed that for a while. I don't know why. Um, Cami Belange, we've been a shout out. Hopefully she heals up quickly. Bernard Kerr back on the podium. He had a bit of luck there. But um, guys, go check out their product offerings. Give them a follow. And uh, yeah, we love hearing from you. You want to send me a message or, or Alan, I'll, I'll pass it on as well. And I think the biggest thing you can do is leave us a review and follow the show if you like the content. Because the more you do that, the more I can get people like Alan back. i got to buy him a lot of beers for the favors <laughs> he does. He takes a lot of time away from his family being at these races. And he's always... Happy to jump on the podcast um, so we can have a bit of a chat. So thanks again to you, Alan. Pleasure. Always good to talk. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you in Leger. During my racing years and even now, I take my health and nutrition pretty seriously, I must say. It was so difficult, though, to stick to a routine and to remember to take all those necessary supplements. Then I found AG1. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. Now you might ask, what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I have never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. Honestly, I actually look forward to taking it. I do it first thing in the morning. I feel more alert and focused and I know I'm taking care of my body and health. I feel energized to get my day going. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier and that's why I trust AG1. I just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning as I said and then I'm done. So check this out. With that one scoop of AG1 I've been talking about, you're absorbing, listen to this, 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help start your day right. This is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, recovery and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs and none of that nasty chemical artificial anything, all while still tasting good. Now let's all be honest with each other. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now I don't care what you do in life. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by so many professional athletes and health experts. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle. That's again, drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link will be in the show notes as well.